This episode of Engineering the Future is brought to you by The Personal, Osby's home and auto insurance partner. These past few months have shown us just how important it is to have someone in your corner. When it comes to home and auto insurance, The Personal can be that someone. If you would like to learn more about this exclusive program, visit thepersonal.com slash Osby. This podcast is brought to you by Osby, the Ontario Society of Professional Engineers, the advocacy body for professional engineers and the engineering community in Ontario. Welcome to Engineering the Future, a podcast presented by the Ontario Society of Professional Engineers. I am your host, Jerome James. Today I'm joined by Pierre Lebel, President and Chief Results Officer at Results Consulting, a partner of the Ontario Society of Professional Engineers. Pierre, can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? What drives your passion for the topic of leadership and management? And why focus on programs for engineering professionals? Well, hi, Jerome. Thanks for having me as part of this podcast. It's uh, an absolute delight, and I'm really thrilled. And um, to answer that really good question, I'll take a bit of a a back-end run to it. Uh, the This whole notion of leadership kind of evolved in my own brain through my own experiences in life. And yes, I am passionate about uh, performance um, in terms of leadership and management. And I've had some great experiences in my life that kind of framed for me what that looked like. What, what were those behaviors? So I'll just tell you two quick instances. Um, years ago, there was a gentleman... Uh, there is a gentleman named Charlie Peel Sticker. He is a mentor of mine, and he owns a business, a very successful business, and he's an entrepreneur. And um, I had another company name, which he absolutely detested. So he took, took me under his wing and he said, okay, Pierre, we're going to change a few things. One is how you pitch to clients, and we're going to change the positioning of your company but because it doesn't really represent what you do. Um, and at the end of the day, it's about leadership, it's about management, and it's about results. So I'm going to take you through a couple of paces, and we're going to have this conversation. And if I don't like it, eh, we're going to start all over again. So Charlie would take me out to the Blue Jays game, you know, every now and then, or we'd go out for dinner, and he would ask me the question, Pierre, describe yourself and what value you bring. And nice. I would say it, and he'd say, uh, wrong answer try again. I try again. And again, he would say, uh, wrong answer. We'd finish lunch or dinner or finishing, finish the game. And then he'd say, go back, work on this, come back again in a month's time. So that went on a number of times. And, you know, through that experience, uh, Charlie, as my mentor, really taught me to be more agile in my thinking um, and to open my ears and to really, truly listen. And to understand what is the role of the perceiver, the people you're interacting with, to influence their thinking, their behavior, and ultimately their results. And so that leadership that he showed me, which was very honorable, very, it's a very humble man, um, a very astute, well-articulated man. um, He just said, Pierre, you know, just go beyond what you're comfortable with. And so... You know, this took about a few a few months to go through, but he was patient with me. And and when I came back and I told him what I thought I should say and what I th- thought I should represent, he said, "Okay, we're getting there. Let's keep going." 
So that tenacity and that willingness to spend the time with me to shape my thinking and ultimately how I became an entrepreneur, focusing on leadership and management and performance results for companies, um, that really helped shape me today. The other experience I had was a nice. long time ago, thank you, was I had the opportunity to interview Terry Fox. Um, oh, and wow. I'm sure everybody who's listening to this po- podcast, yeah, it was phenomenal. Um, at the time, mm-hmm. I was actually 20 years old. I had gone to university, decided okay. that I didn't, didn't want to pursue that program. So I went back home and lo and behold, a newspaper editor was retiring. And this woman said, hey, Pierre, do you want to be the editor? And I thought, I'm 20 years old. What do I know? So she spoke to the publisher. And before you know it, at 20 years old, I actually managed a newspaper by myself. And I had a ton of people reporting to me. They were much older, much more seasoned. I was green around the ears. I didn't know diddly squat. But what I did know was I had some confidence and I had some tenacity. And I really wanted to prove to myself that I actually could do this job. So I did that job, and one day the publisher came to me and said, Pierre, his name is uh, Gary McInnes, by the way, fantastic man. He still owns this newspaper. And he said to me, Pierre, Terry Fox is coming to town. And I said, really? He said, yeah, he's coming into town, and he's going to go to the Moose Hall. Well, the Moose Hall was part of this Moose Lodge. It's like a club for men and women, you know, advocating for certain things. So he was located at this, um, at this uh, venue. So I went. And there was Terry Fox surrounded by people. And he stood on a stage and he gave a little speech. And I was about five feet away from him. And I could see the glistening sweat on his face. And I could see the glistening sweat on his legs. And just the way he spoke, I was just in awe of this man. I knew I was watching greatness. And because I had the opportunity to interview him, about five minutes after he was done talking to the public, his handlers <laughs> brought him to a room, brought me to the room. We took a couple of photos and then I interviewed him. And what impressed me the most about Terry was this, this humanity, this selflessness, this, this drive for a cause. He had a cause to help eradicate mm-hmm. cancer. And right. he had suffered a great deal with his own journey in, in um, you know, uh, getting to a place where he's healthier, and then made this his cause. And then, um, and then when I interviewed him, he stopped his marathon of hope run two days afterwards. Um, he wow. he he realized the doctors realized that the cancer had spread yeah. to his lungs, and he had no knowledge. So here was this young man, about twenty twenty one years old, about the same age as me, doing something heroic, doing something that created a legacy. And he was so humble and sweet. And I thought, wow, could you imagine if there were more Charlies and Terry Foxes in the world? What a great place our world would be. So those two instances really started shaping my thinking around what should leadership really be? As opposed to what okay. you read in the newspapers or, or in all these books, but how do you make it real? And so I thought of that and I said, how can I actually translate my experiences? to helping clients, leaders, or people in leadership positions get the best that they can be to influence decisions, influence results. And so I took those stories and actually shaped a business around it. I shaped a business model, which is really focusing on leadership and performance results. So performance Mm -hmm. for the individual and the team, but also performance for the 
for the organization. And my passion comes from that. Because if you have great strategy and poor leaders, it ain't going to happen. But if you've got a poor strategy with great leaders, they will make it happen. So the intersection of the two is really important. And whenever I see people in leadership positions struggle, Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's a personal struggle, whether it's a life struggle, a business struggle, a relationship struggle, I always go back to something that a colleague and I uh, came up with years ago, and it's called the IT factor. And IT stands for, there's three I's, intent, interaction, impact, leading to trust. And leadership is all about trust. And if you don't have trust, you're nothing. You can't lead. You can manage, but can't lead. And so we always go back to, okay, how, what is the person's values? How is that person Mm -hmm interacting with others and what is the impact sophie if someone says let's talk about yeah let's talk about that uh for a little bit uh the values what would you say is some of the values that you've experienced or you've learned over the years that engineering companies in in specific uh value out of their leadership or their strive what they strive to to find in leadership well, that's a great question. And we do work with a lot of engineering firms and engineers. And by the way, I'm married to an engineer. My son is an engineer. My brother-in-law is an engineer. My father-in-law was an engineer. So they have this way of thinking and they're critical thinkers. Uh, they're problem solvers. And they are actually, I think, a little bit hard on themselves uh, for a whole bunch of different reasons, but they're brilliant people to, to work with. My experience in terms of values with engineers is that they don't accept the status quo. Okay, they don't Mm. accept something in front of them that just says, okay, this is good enough. They're always looking for something that's better, that will uh, create an innovation or solve a problem. So that that need to be innovative, that need to not accept the status quo, to actually solve problems that actually do something for society or do something for an organization or people, it's brilliant. But one thing I have experienced with engineers is that from a values perspective, many of them have this humility. Um, they, there's this notion of humility coupled with critical thinking, um, merged with this need to find a better solution to a problem that exists today. Those are some of the values that I really respect. And my, my personal experience in the last few years, certainly working with the Ontario Society of Professional Engineers, um, some of our mm-hmm. clients come directly from OSPE, but I've had the benefit of working with a number of engineers and engineering firms in the last say, last two years. And one thing that I am realizing is that there's this strong desire to have a culture that is respectful, that is um, focused on the customer um, and and stretching beyond the norm. So all those examples of values are really, really important. Um, And that really impresses me in terms of what the engineering profession is all about. The one Mm. thing that does... Yeah. A challenge my thinking is engineers solve problems. But one of the problems they don't solve often is taking care of themselves. They are always mm. taking care of others, always taking care of problems. So they don't invest as much in themselves as they should. And the ones that do are great leaders. And those great leaders, 20% of engineers or of CEOs today are engineers. We hope you're enjoying this episode so far. At OSPI, we're here for you, making sure government, media, and the public are listening to the voice of engineers. 
You can learn more at ospi.on.ca. So I oh. think, yeah, it's phenomenal. I didn't, I didn't know that, that statistic yeah. actually. Yeah. Would you say 20%. that you, you uh, change your style of consulting for an engineering company versus um, any other company? I know that we, the values that you just um, espoused that engineering companies and engineers hold, but is your consulting style changed slightly when you consult for an engineering company? No, never. Um, <laughs> um, I will always be honest. <laughs> mm-hmm. I will always uh, look for what's behind the, the, the veil because people who see symptoms of problems, they think that's a problem itself. Whereas I go beyond that and I say, that's not your problem. That's a symptom. So let's uncover the real problem. And part of the time, it may be them. It may be lack of support or resources. It could be a variety of things. So short answer, no, I never change how I do my work. Um, but I'm mindful of the industry. I'm mindful of the roles. I'm mindful of the challenges that they have. And um, I keep that in mind when I actually work with them because I know they have tough mm. jobs. So my job is to help them work through some of those challenges that they just don't see. And so I try to help them see okay, let's, let's, a different let's perspective. Let's peel that back. Yeah, let's peel that back a little bit. So let's get a little technical here. Say you have someone in a leadership role a leadership position in a company, how do they kind of, you know, uh, assess their effectiveness of leadership? Uh, Are there some indicators that you um, measure them against? Uh, How do they find out how they're doing and find out ways to improve? Okay. So there's always two sides to the coin, right? Mm -hmm. With engineers, they have a very significant portion of their role and their value on the technical side of the business, Uh, you know, doing projects, advising clients, figuring out solutions or coming up with innovation that makes our world a better place. On the other side is this notion of soft skills. So engineers are trained to be critical thinkers, problem solving. They have, you know, they've been disciplined, they've been educated in various disciplines of engineering. Uh, I think there's something like 40 plus different disciplines in engineering. So they're comfortable in that space where they're not as comfortable for the most part is on the soft skill side, confronting, confronting others, having difficult conversations, trying to influence Mm -hmm. decisions, not having enough confidence to be able to submit a proposal or to present. There are a number of things that uh, stereotypically, um, kind of uh, defined the engineering profession. Um, But I can tell you that engineers are fantastic people to work with because it's, you know, they go, they work with the black and white, but those really good leaders understand the black and white, but they work within the gray. And understanding the gray and working within those boundaries makes them brilliant leaders. And one way to assess whether or not an engineer or even a, a technical person is perhaps underperforming or not cutting it, so to speak, is how they interact with others. They may be right. more than likely they are doing a relatively good job on the project side because they work around projects, they work with teams, they work with customers, but it's how they interact with others. Some engineers, like some other professionals, aren't just comfortable being upfront. 
they like to be behind. They like to fix things. Right, right. Yeah. What would you say to the people that say, oh, you know, leadership is not really the, the place for an engineer. The engineer is supposed to, you know, take uh, orders and come up with solutions for problems that have been given to them and, you know, kind of more out of sight, out of mind. Uh, they're the workhorses in the company, um, you know, no questions asked, kind of results driven. Uh, how do you break that kind of, should that mold of thought be broken? And how do you start to break that mold? Well, I do think that's a stereotypical view of engineers and the values of it, uh, the, the value added and the value creation of engineers. Engineers are brilliant. Mm. They are fantastic human beings, but they're brilliant at their work. Um, yes, they're human like everybody else. Sometimes they may make, make mistakes and we know some of those public mistakes that have been have been made. But they are fantastic people to work with because they're honest, they're truthful. And one of the challenges that um, uh, I've experienced is, uh, go back to your question again. What was... Yeah, like how do you break the mold of thinking that, you know, an engineer's place is not necessarily at the, the head of the company. They're, they're supposed to be responding to decision makers to to make things happen and be technically competent and, you know, do what they're told kind of. Okay. Well, thank you. Well, engineers need to be at the table. They need to interact with customers. They need to understand the problem that needs to be solved. And if somebody is in between the customer, the client or the problem and them, they truly don't get the full picture. They don't have an opportunity Mm. to ask the right questions. Um, right. and, and so that disconnect creates a problem for engineers because they can't go through their critical thinking stage to solve what perhaps is the root cause uh, of the problem or the need and then figure out a solution. So that is old thinking. That is very old thinking. And today, from my experience, engineers, for the most part, are at the table solving the problems, um, mm. but asking the right questions. So I think there's a real opportunity for the engineering profession to do a far better job personally thinking, to promote the value that they have. If you look at what, you know, the uh, Canadian Professional Accountants uh, as a professional association does, a lot of the work that that association does is around marketing the value of professional accountants. Mm -hmm. Uh, And accountants now are much more comfortable asking the hard questions in organizations because there's a bit of a different persona around the value of accountants. I think in the engineering profession, they oh, need yeah. to do some I've seen work the commercials. There. Yes, yes, <laughs> we all have for the most Absolutely. part. So I think there's some some extra work that needs to be done to break that mold. But that mold is old. It's wrong. It doesn't work today. Okay, excellent advice there. Um, so, what kind of uh, advice would you give a an engineer earlier in their career who wants to? progress into more of a leadership role um, in the future? Uh, What kind of things should they be thinking about and putting into their toolbox, as it were, uh, going forward? That, too, is a great question. I don't think I have all the answers, but I do think that what's necessary and important for all professionals today, and, and in particular engineers, is to have the right, the right mindset to say, and to ask the hard questions, to be comfortable with that, regardless of whatever level they are at in the organization, whether or not they are an emerging leader, 
a newbie, you know, shoved in the corner doing the work, the technical designs or blueprints, whatever it may be, or the senior leader. They have to be comfortable asking the hard questions around what is the problem and what is the potential solution. So that's thing number one. I think they need to keep yearning for better and learn, reskill themselves or upskill their ability to be able, their ability to be able to influence decisions. Um, um, so I, I, I would encourage people early in their career to, to do a bit of an inventory around their SWAT, their, uh, their strengths, their weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And if they don't know what they are, they should ask mm-hmm. somebody, either a direct manager, a colleague, a professor, whomever it may be, or a trusted advisor of some sort. But ask the question, what could I get better at? And what do you think I can do? Um, so, so do an inventory and then, you know, it might be worthwhile for them to get a mentor or a coach, but one thing. Are there leadership skills that someone could practice that aren't necessarily in, in, in management roles that, uh, can get them to that next level? Absolutely. Uh, we do, we spend a fair bit of time coaching executives like CEOs and and executives at the next level below. But we also do coach senior engineers um, and Mm. some more junior engineers. And everything that I'm talking about in terms of leadership, leaders aren't born, they're actually made. Okay. And I think engineers are so bright and so dogmatic around solving a problem. If they are first aware of self-aware of their own dynamics and what is the impact of what they do and don't do, from a leadership or management perspective, they ultimately get to, okay, why? And what do I got to do? The real trick is to have somebody on your side to say, look, you're going down the wrong path and this is why. So that's where a mentor or a coach or a trusted advisor comes into play. And I certainly think that, you know, the, the Ontario Society of Professional Engineers really has a really good network of young professionals and senior professionals in the engineering industry where they are technical specialists or leadership specialists. I think tap into those opportunities. Volunteer with OSPE. Create your own network. Just don't sit back and wait for somebody to come to you. You've got to go out there and share your own story. Explain why somebody should hire you or promote you in your job. I think part of it is lack of confidence or a little bit of fear. And that's one of the gifts my mother gave me. (laughs) My mother's a little five foot French Canadian person who never took no for an answer. She was like that when she was, you know, newly a new kid. And she's still like that at 83 years old, but she never accepted just the no, you can't do it. So I think young professionals, young engineers should be setting goals as to where they want to be and creating a pathway. I've just sat down over the last few months and coached uh, a significantly impactful person who's an engineer. And that person didn't have a life plan. That person didn't have a leadership plan. So we coached them through certain core competencies, one of which was building trust, building confidence in self, having hard conversations with employees, that sort of thing. But a lot of this can be read and a lot of this can be taught. But I think for engineers, they need the experience. They need the mm-hmm. experience so they can read anything but they need to have that experience where it's safe for them to learn and grow. And, um, you know, it, it, it's interesting what engineers come back and, and tell you. 
Um, Google, uh, a number of years ago, did a project called Project Oxygen. And they asked engineers, they're all their engineers in their company at Google, what motivated them at work? And they came back and said, what didn't motivate them more so than what did? But one of the things that they said was essential for them in their career was an effective manager who gave them feedback, okay? Not a micromanager, but somebody who showed compassion, empathy, and pushed them out of their boundaries. And that today is so essential for young engineers. So if you're you're lacking that confidence, find a mentor or coach to help you through that. Mm. Such wise words. Thank you so much for this excellent conversation. Thank Basically, you. You, you, you have to go out and grab it, right? Like it's not going to come to you. I've, I mean, those situations do occur, but they are so far <laughs> and few in between. And, you know, being an old horse as I am, I've been on this journey for a while and I've seen what great leaders, leaders do. And I've had great experiences with incredible people who are leaders regardless of their title regardless of their life circumstances. And I'm so impressed by how they make a difference in life and in work. And and this profession is very important. And I'm a strong advocate for engineers. Um, partly it's because my wife told me so. <laughs> Shame, <I'm kidding. laughs> uh, and it was Great. actually her that actually sparked my, partly sparked my passion around helping the engineering community. So thank you so much, Jerome. Excellent. Thank And thank you for such a great conversation. Thank you. Pierre LaBelle, President and Chief Results Officer at an international business management consultancy, as well as a trusted partner at the Ontario Engineering Academy and uh, Leadership in Management Training. You've been listening to Engineering the Future. My name is Jerome James. Thanks for listening. From all of us at OSPI, the Ontario Society of Professional Engineers, thanks for listening. Please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.